Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. I am thrilled to have on Josh Lannon, who is such an inspiring entrepreneur who is making, you know, we, we all kind of want to do something that makes a difference. And here's someone that's actually like living the dream in that regard. Um, he is in charge of the founder of Warrior's Heart, along with his partner and his wife, um, which is a an amazing institution that is dedicating to helping Americans, veterans, and first responders the, uh, the warrior classes, he calls them, deal with uh, PTSD and drug addiction and overall helping the people that help us. Um, he's someone that is very open with his story. We, we dive deep into the mind of someone who's a recovering addict and how do you transfer the challenges in your life into the productive things in your life the inspiring stories that you you know someone like him has ongoing um, inspiring stories about the people that that come through his program. So I'm really thrilled to share the mission of Josh and Warrior's Heart and to dive into the mindset of the man that made it happen. So no further ado, Josh Lannon. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, Lift Your Legacy is committed to helping you live a more authentic and meaningful life. That being said, if I could ask you to share this podcast with someone that you think would get value from the message, that would be fantastic. In addition, I wanted to make you aware that along with the podcast, I do offer executive coaching. I help people who are successful and highly motivated, who want to see extreme, or not even so extreme, maybe just a small change that in their life. I want to help them get to the next level. What does that mean specifically? Creating more peace in your relationships with yourself, growing your business, clarifying your career. And even if you need a little bit of help losing some weight or getting more healthy, I do that also. I'm not for everyone, but for those people that are invested in making their life better and taking the next step, I highly recommend you consider me as a coach for you. Now, how do you get in touch? Well, you found the podcast. I wanted to tell you also my email, Jacob, my first name, Jacob at liftyourlegacy.live. Feel free, please, to reach out there or on all, any or all of my social media channels. I'd be thrilled to give you a complimentary half an hour conversation to see if we might be a good fit to work together. And now, with no further ado, I ask you to please sit back and enjoy the show. I'm here with Josh Lannon, who is the founder of Warrior's Heart, which is an amazing nonprofit that helps veterans get the help that they need as a result or just in, in conjunction to some of the, the trauma that they experience uh, over serving America and coming back and making that very difficult transition. Um, having come at, you know, decades now of foreign uh, for an involvement and then just the kind of the difficulty of transitioning back into life. I don't think that there's anything more important or um, crucial to the country, frankly, and to the, the armed services. So I wanted to first start off by recognizing you and thanking you very much for the work that you're doing. Awesome. Thank you. 
appreciate uh, being on the show. My pleasure. So, Josh, how did you how did you wind up starting Warriors Heart? What's kind of your background? Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of break it down to the why, right? Why why do we do what we do? Uh, it started for me, uh, let's say Las Vegas. I was living in Las Vegas. Uh, my wife was in law enforcement, and I was running nightclubs. So I ran a country western club. My wife's in law enforcement, so kind of the joke was I'd get him drunk and she'd book him in jail. <laughs> that was the full circle. Right. And uh, we were in our 20s. Um, it was fun. It was exciting. Uh, but it took a toll. You know, it really did. It took a toll on me physically, emotionally, spiritually. Being in the nightclubs day in and day out, it, it was breaking me down. And I, I didn't know it because I was trapped by, well, you just drink you have a good time because that's what adults do that's what you're supposed to do right how did, you know, can i can i even before you get that how did you get into yeah. nightclubs so my father was in nightclubs so he was okay. a general contractor and then uh, he had geez, a series of nightclubs i think 13 of them over his yeah. career so it's probably good that i had to work for my father because i was unemployable you know i wasn't <laughs> a very good employee <laughs> so it's like I, you have to start a company then exactly yeah that's why i'm an entrepreneur now right no one's gonna hire me yeah, so I worked for my father. Okay. Uh, it was a successful nightclub. It was called Dylan's Dance Hall in Vegas. We'd put, I don't know, between 11 and 1,500 people through there a night. It was okay. the place to be. You know, oh, okay. a lot of guys from Nellis Air Force Base and stuff coming. The, okay. the club's no longer there. Um, but in any case, is, uh, yeah, is the lifestyle really uh, took me. And Lisa, one night, she came home. I'd been out on about a three-day bender, drinking, partying. Uh, and that was my MO. I'd disappear, I'd go out and drink and just burn it down. And one night she came home in uniform, and I'll never forget this, as I'm laying on the couch, she comes home in uniform, and I look up at her, and what I saw was the woman that I fell in love with. Because through my addiction, she had lost herself as well. The enabling, the covering up, the, oh, he's okay, or he's just sick, he's got the flu, all that BS that goes with uh, a home of addiction because there's both parties that were involved in this. She wasn't out partying, but she still had her part in it too, right? So she says, Josh, either you go to rehab tonight or I'm going to divorce you. And it was like, the gig's up. Like, she is telling me the truth. There's no more honey. I promise it's going to be different and you'll see. Like, the gig was up. What did it take? Did you ever ask her after, after things changed, what was it about that moment or what was it about that time where she was willing to frankly give up, give up the relationship with you in order to help you get back onto track? For sure. Cause we, we have, we process this. We've talked a lot about it and I'll give you a little bit of background and then it'll make sense with her is that she had basically she was fed up. It was intuition. It's like, I have to, I have to do something. Because if I continue down this path, he's either going to be uh, uh, dead or in prison. And I don't want to live like this anymore. But there was something speaking to her spiritually about it. And this night, she's like, I have to do it tonight. Knowing that if I said no, that meant possibly death. Like, okay, I'm out. And I drink and I burn my life down. And next thing I know, I commit suicide or whatever, you know, DUI. So it was a spiritual calling um, I really, truly believe that. Wow. Well, what happened for me that night that she didn't know is that I attempted suicide. It's like that night I was done. I didn't know how to get out of it. 
I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. My life wasn't supposed to be like this. So I, you know, I had my rifle and I was going to pull the trigger. And without going too deep into it, because I'll break down, I'll be a mess for, for the rest of the podcast, is that I had a spiritual experience. And what I heard in my head before I pulled the trigger and all that stuff was, not yet. There's more work to do. Mm. Just not yet. And I broke down, man. I was a wreck. And so when she came home, I'd gone through that experience. Here I am. I look up. I see her power. Her, like, her spirit is alive. And I'm like, okay. This is it. Wait, I'm sorry. I got the order wrong. So you attempted suicide before she gave you that ultimatum? Yes. Oh, that's crazy. That night. That's insane. Like it all lined up. That is insane. And okay. Like, Tonight's the night. I got to tell him. Wow. And so wow. I'm looking at her going, okay, this is, <laughs> this is what I'm supposed to do. Okay. I don't understand it, but I trust it. <clears throat> so I went to rehab. Uh, started the healing processes in um, November 2001, <clears throat> and um, man, my life changed. I mean, it changed everything. So not only was I working on myself in treatment, but they had a good family program too. So she came in, and we started healing together, and uh, so that's when we really, even though, I mean, we've been married now for 20 years together for. 25 that's yeah. when we really came together in marriage and in life hand in hand like we will take this on together i, I want to just point that out if i could and, and what i'm hearing you say and i think it's an important point is that there's such a there's such a belief out there that when it comes to marriage you know sort of the the when things are broken that's when people usually tend to separate and people sort of look at the courtship period or the early you know the very beginnings of of marriage and kind of always want to harken back to those times. And yeah. what I'm hearing you say is that it's really when you hit rock bottom that you, you have the greatest potential to rebuild your marriage. And it, and it could be that like you're almost with a person, you get to a point or she'll get to a point or together as a couple, you get to a point where you are literally different people inhabiting, you know, kind of like the same body or the same space, however you want to see it. But they're that, 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 that a good marriage is forged in difficulty, not necessarily uh, in that place where if we're not getting along that we right away have to jump and, and separate. Yeah, we're two spirits that have made a, a contract together in marriage. Right. So it's when times get tough, it's like, that's when you're supposed to come together and thank right. God that she had the strength because I didn't. And instead of saying, you're the problem, I'm gone. Although she did give me an ultimatum, so it gave me a choice. I leaned into it and said, okay, but her strength is what helped like pull me out of the gutters and start the process. And I, I owe her my life for it. I mean, really. It's, it's also a tribute to you that there's not a shame to that in the sense that, you know, sometimes we do have to lean on our partners. And, and again, there's a, there, you know, going into that, that, that culture that I know is kind of, again, the military sort of is a, is a great sort of, uh, uh, a finger on the pulse of the of the American mentality in a lot of ways, but in, in America in general, there's a certain um, thing that man have to be strong, and 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 that it's kind of their job to stand up. and And what I, what I'm hearing you say is because of your spiritual practice, because of who your wife is, because of the marriage you have, you were able to lean on her strength, and as a result, find your own feet. Absolutely. There's times that I'm strong in certain things. There's times that she's strong, and and having the flexibility is like, all right, you got lead on this. Right go you know and I, I will i trust you i follow you you know Beautiful. so yeah 
Thanks. Yeah. So it, it started the journey to healing. So I went back into the nightclub industry. Sorry, I'm wearing my son's headphones because our teenagers, you know, mine disappeared, so I'm wearing his. <laughs> okay. That's how I just I got rid of mine because my kids just have taken it and it's somewhere. You know. I know it, it disappears. So it started the journey and um, I went back to work at the nightclubs and I was like, I just can't do this anymore. Now I got my earpiece in, I'm working the floor. I'm just like, I, I can't do it. I don't want to be part of a problem anymore. We were good at our jobs. You know, we got a lot of people drunk. We hooked a lot of people up, but it's like, yeah, but what's the end game? DUIs, broken marriages, one night stands. I mean, in nightclubs, that's what happens. It's like, I don't want to do it anymore. So I called up the owner of the treatment center I went to because we became friends when I went through the, his program. And I asked him, would he teach me? Would he teach me the industry? And he said he would. And, uh, and so why? He goes, well, one alcoholic helping another alcoholic. I just ask that you do the same thing. So he, he became my mentor. I've also mentored other people, still do, uh, helping build programs. But it, it gave me then the, uh, the, the expert, if you will, because I knew what it was like to walk through the front door broken and ashamed but i didn't know the back end of it so he taught me the industry so my wife lisa and i then decided to open our own treatment center so we did in 2002 we opened our first program in salt lake city and then because uh, we were going to open in vegas but we thought who in their right mind would go to vegas to get sober right <laughs> we'd lose them at the airport yeah we'll see you in a week all right bye right. So that's why we picked Salt Lake. Uh, and then we opened, we ended up opening six locations in multiple states. So it grew uh, and it, it was successful. So in 2013, we had a private equity company call us. So we know who you are. Um, we want to buy your company. And at that time, we had never sold a company like that before. And we thought, hmm, our baby's now to a point where it's ready to go to college, right? It's ready to go to the smart MBAs and all that stuff. So we did, we sold, we sold our company. It was hard, it was emotional, um, but it was one of those things like, okay, what are we supposed to do? So we took some time off and it was this, the work is what we're supposed to be doing. So then backing it out and studying it and looking at it and asking questions, it was, well, the war has been kicking off since you know 2001. We have a number of military guys that come into our program, but they really just, they have a hard time connecting with the civilian. And with Lisa and being in law enforcement, we had a number of law enforcement officers coming in, kind of the same deal. We have a SWAT officer sitting across from a guy that cooks meth. Right. We're like, really, man, how am I supposed to be vulnerable here? My job's kicking his door and the guy right. cooking ice is the meth. He's like, yeah, my job is to stop you. Right. So how are we supposed to, you know, so it's like, okay, there's a disconnect here. And uh, I've always loved studying martial arts and uh, health and that sort of thing. So I was doing tactical trainings during this process. So close quarter combat, military type trainings. And that's when we met our partner, Tom Spooner. He was running uh, through a company called Northern Red and uh, Invictus and running some of these tactical trainings. So I was getting beat up by them, basically. <laughs> a selection course, they just, they beat the crap out of guys, but I loved it. Right. And I was learning a lot. And that's when I became aware that 22 veterans a day commit suicide. Tom did the briefing on it after the course. 
I'm like, that just doesn't even make sense. Are those numbers real? He's like, yeah, man, they're real. It's like, okay, so what's next? He goes, well, we just want to bring awareness to you guys. Okay, now I'm aware. What do we do? And it was cool. It was like everything started to line up, and we, we formed a partnership with Tom, and that's where Warrior's Heart was created. So it's a uh, licensed, accredited addiction treatment center that is just focused on active military, veterans, and first responders, what we call the warrior class. As like us that love it, you know, like I didn't serve in the military, but I, I love it. Um, I've done a lot of trainings, not a police officer, my wife was, um, but it's built around the culture of the military, the police, firefighters, EMS, guys that run to the sound of gunfire. And uh, it's working. Uh, we, we opened in 2015, we got licensed in 2016, and since then we've had, um, geez, over 840 guys now through our course. And what, what it is is we have detox, inpatient treatment, which is a minimum about 42 days, and then we have outpatient and long-term sober living. TRICARE covers it. Um, we have contracts with the VA, we have contracts with World Trade Center Fund. So we have a number of uh, networks out there that they can help pay for the guys to come into the program. A couple of questions on that. First of all, I, I, I want you to speak to, as, as someone that's in a similar situation that I did not serve in the military, but love the culture and think that it's the coolest thing in the world, oftentimes you do as a civilian have a sense of, well, those guys are awesome, but you know, my life path, you know, it, for me, it was never even, a, I never even thought about, you know, would I go to the military when I was, you know, 18, whatever it was. So mm -hmm. for, for the person that's a civilian, but I think it could just be my Instagram algorithms, but I feel like the, the military is um, becoming more part of, of popular culture. And so there are more people that are looking at these real life heroes and wanting to be a part of that culture. Um, how do you, how did you make that step into saying, okay, I'm going to actively identify a, a specialty that I have and try to service that. So how, how would a person who wants to show respect, gratitude, besides writing a check, which of course is a very big deal, sure. what else can they do to help this community? So just like in life, we, we survive and thrive on teams. Yep. So the military does it excellent as well with teams. So if I was just to step in and say, hey, I know what you guys need. I'm a civilian. Military guys would be like, yeah, right. right. Keep it. So what to do is you form a partnership. So I had the background with the business, treatment centers, addiction. You know, I'm in recovery myself. Tom, recovery in recovery, military background. He was a tier one operator, like top of the line military, Lisa and law enforcement. So we formed a partnership together. So we have the different aspects. So like Tom, he provides what we call warrior oversight. So when running through the program, well, what do you think about this and that? Tom has veto right on, no, military guys aren't going to, that, that's not cool. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So it's through a collection of a team is how we can support, you know, and I think we've been doing it for thousands of years is when we send our warriors out, for battle thinking like Native Americans. They send their warriors out. When they come back, the warriors tell the stories to the tribe. The tribe then takes on the burden entirely, not just, well, they did that out there and now they're back and things are better. 
know. Well, what happened? Tell me about it. What does it mean when we send our warriors to war? You know, what happens? So then we have better education of what those choices really mean. And then how do we bring them back into the tribe and support them together? And I think that's how we win is by being united. I, I think that there's a, there's a tremendous amount of life and, and business lesson there that, that so many people feel Again, I, I don't know what you blame. Could be the it's the it could be the breakdown of the of the corporate, you know, eighties and nineties, and and the rise of the entrepreneur and the rise of social media that people feel like they need to have a certain level of of competence, so to speak, or the ability to know different markets and the humility that you have to say, you know, hey, I know. Again, the, the whole thing is is an amazing thing because on one hand you have the humility to say that. Um, I need to learn something else and to go back to an area where you struggled and realize that that's an area where you can show mastery. And, and, and a lot of people don't think like that. It's like, where in your life have you struggled? Have you seen success building, building something there? And then the humility to reach out to other partners and say, I want to go into a new industry, so to speak. But instead of acting like I have to know the piece, if I could just partner with someone that does have the experience, then there's a, a mutual benefit. I think that that's, that's extremely profound. Awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah. Because yeah, it's funny, as in school, I didn't learn I was stupid until I went to school. <laughs> you know? I didn't do well in school, so I like to slam them a little bit. No, I, I, I do as well. And it's just so fascinating because in, in the community in which I operate also, it's like the guys that, that had to learn how to work with their hands or had to learn how to do these other kinds of skills didn't necessarily, I mean, I, I moved to the Midwest from, from California and in California, it's a very, you know, kind of cerebral culture. And here you see people that, that built very large empires for themselves and, and employ all the guys who are cerebral, but because they had to learn with their hands and, and right. it's very just different skill sets. Just like an artist is different from, from somebody else. It's just like there's different levels of intelligence. And that's really fascinating. Um, Absolutely. Real quick on that, like in, in school, you know, I would ask the smart students, hey, what did you get? What was your answer? And tell me right. about it. And the right. teacher, hey, that's cheating. Stop it. Right. But in life, it's cooperation. That's how we learn. That's how we <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So it's, crazy. No, and, and, and it's so funny because in a lot of ways, that's, that's entrepreneurial training for you in the sense that, you know, I mean, I, I heard a, a story that changed, I changed my life um, about, about Henry Ford and someone was a reporter who was very, you know, come from an Ivy League, uh, was upset at his success. And so wanted to kind of make it, make an idiot out of him and, and, and prepared a bunch of just like questions that academics knows right. and started firing them. He didn't know any of them. And the reporter was like feeling very good about himself. And, and, and Henry Ford said, the difference between you and me is you're proud of the fact that you know that and said, I can have all those answers times a thousand more. You know, I'll just pick up the phone and I'll call right. because I know there's this idea of collaboration. I'm not afraid of that. So I don't need my own knowledge in order to be successful. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so you see, so, so interestingly enough, I, I want to kind of like go back and forth of these two demographics. So when you see these men and women who have served at a very high level and come back and had a mission, had a team, you know, even if they're, again, most, a lot of soldiers are not even in any way involved in politics, but they have a tremendous commitment to each other and to the mission uh, and to their country. So they have this clarity in life and then they get dumped back in the civilian thing. And a lot of the skills are not intrinsically transferable until you have companies that are now popping up that help match veterans with you know, the, the job prospects that are, that are best for their, so when a person, and again, that's a general thing is that people have moments in their life where they're, they're included and they have clarity and they have other moments where they lose their team, they lose, lose their mission. 
and, and then there's so many alternatives of, of drugs and alcohol and, and sex and uh, all these things right. that people use. How do you, or what would you, what, what do you see works to help a person during those difficult um, bridges or, or, or caverns in their life between a productive period and, and another productive period? It's a good question. And it's a tough question too, you know, cause while someone's serving or engaged in combat, that is extremely high uh, level of adrenaline and life. I mean, you are alive and you're present. So when you come back to the civilian realm, like, and you're, you're not with your team anymore, it's a, it's a major crash physically, emotionally, spiritually. So right. You're right. They substitute. We do with drugs, alcohol, sex, like to fill the void, you're self-medicating. So, when, when our guys come to us, just getting them off drugs and alcohol is just the beginning. Like, hey, man, that, that's not the end because, okay, you're now not drinking anymore, but you're still thinking about the trauma and you still have all this pain, and now you can really feel it because it hurts. You're not numbed up by the medication. So first step, you know, okay, let's get you off the drugs and alcohol. Let's start to rebuild the body. But next is, okay, what's the next mission? What's the next objective? And we see some of our guys go to work in companies that are with CEOs or leadership that are dweebs. Like they have zero respect for these guys because they're barking orders, but they can't do it themselves. So it's like, yeah, okay, don't do that because you know it's just going to drive you crazy. What about some of these military veteran-owned companies um, that have great leadership and that, that resonates with you. So we start to look at, okay, well, what's your niche? What's your skill set, And what type of companies do you want to work for? Um, I'll give an example. We partner with a company called Black Rifle Coffee. Yeah, I, was, I was literally just about to ask about that. Yes. That's really funny. Right. Fantastic. Yeah, right. fantastic company, veteran-owned. They, the, they are the culture. So in their company, they run it very similar. So it's like, hey, what are some of these companies that you could join up and, uh, and then still continue on with a mission with a team that resonates with you? So I, I, just practically speaking, because I, I work in a lot of the, uh, not, not, not with the military, but I work with, with a lot of CEOs and, and, and do you know, coaching and consulting. And so th what, what, I'm, what, what you pointed out is not just a military thing in the slightest, a lot of times getting clean, getting over whatever addictions you have, those things are just um, ways not to feel pain. They're not going to get rid of the pain. You know, they're they're going to numb the pain, but the pain is there. And then the interesting thing that you're pointing out is that the pain is an indicator that there's a problem here and that you have to address the problem and try to figure out. And again, a beautiful idea that and, and again, I don't know. I, I worked in colleges also, so there's, there's such a, a push to join a startup, join corporate America, X, Y, and Z. And that doesn't work for so many people. And I get like right. uh, Matt Best in, the, in that book, it's like, he's such a misfit, misfit, but he built this awesome, you know, all the different things he was doing. It, it just, he was able to build, I guess the point is there's always a life that you can build around you if you have the courage to do it. Yes. And I think that that's very fundamental and a very important lesson. And if you don't want to do it, there are other people that are, and you don't have to do a job that sucks, so to speak. And you don't have to do it by yourself. Put a team together. It's so important. And so if, if then you don't want to put a team together, join a team that makes sense for you. But don't do it solo. It's so many guys, whether civilian or military, we think we have to do it by ourselves. We really don't. You know, I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. I don't have to, you know, I have all the answers. Like for it, I, have to, I just have to know where to find them. So you know? I, 
I, I'm interested as someone who has had to do a lot of transitions in, in your own life, leaving out the normal transitions, such as, you know, getting married and, and, and having a family as someone that's had to go from, you know, nightclubs and, and then becoming sober and then building a rehab facility and then selling the rehab facility and then, you know, starting something new. Are there, are there themes in your life that you feel have allowed you to sort of go through these different transitions in life? Because again, getting, selling, selling a company that you spend years to build, it's really hard. And a lot of people don't want to do it because like, what does my life mean afterwards? So how sure. are you able to find common themes through your life that have allowed you to sort of have confidence, even though you know that your future might not look like the past? Got it. And I'd like to say I have confidence. I, I'm scared. Uh, I don't know what the hell I'm doing most okay. of the time. Okay. But there's this, this, I don't know what it is, and I can't explain it, but I have faith and it, from a spiritual aspect. So when I get a prompting or someone comes into my life, it's like I trust this person's in my life for a reason. I'm here to learn something. Sometimes it's a lesson I don't want to learn. Like, well, that sucks. I don't want to do that again. But in other times, it's like, okay, this is guiding me to what I'm supposed to be doing or what I'm supposed to be learning. You know, a lot of people, I think, they believe in God, but very few people trust in God. And not to be religious about it, but spiritual is like, hey, there's something more going on than we understand. So for me, it's like, it doesn't make sense when I, when I look, but when I look back, I go, wow, it makes complete sense. You know, so the biggest thing for me is like, have faith and, and trust the process. You know, we're going to, we're all going to learn something. Sometimes it's a lesson that we don't want to learn, but majority of the time it's there for a reason. It's like, ah, oh, okay, lean in, lean in, trust the process and keep doing it. I would have never have thought I'd be doing what I'm doing today, going back 25 years ago or so. I thought I'd be dead. You know, I didn't think I'd be 44 years old, running this incredible company with these incredible people, having you know, special operators uh, come into our programs to get treatment. And it's like, how did this happen? I don't know, but it's pretty cool. So I, I have faith that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So, and so I keep doing it. I love that. And, and, and also, if you could attest, I mean, the, the interesting thing here is I think that, that and again, could just be coming from California, that a lot of times people associate, if you would translate what faith means for most, most people, it means either um, a sense of weakness, you know, like I, I can't do it myself, and also a sense of the, the, kind of, uh, of kind of like giving up, weakness, giving up your power, and also kind of buying into stuff that you can't, you can't, uh, believe you can't you can't acknowledge you don't know and so and 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 again not, not that California is a culture for the entire country sure. I feel like that there is a, a a deep schism going on in the country from kind of like both coasts and then the middle is there's on one end it's like I have to be completely powerful and I have to only buy the things that I accept and then there's an entire different part of the country that's saying the epitome of what the way that you're defining faith is that I can be completely present. I can be aware of what's going on in my life and I can take cues from my life as opposed to being upset about it. And that it's not at all an expression of weakness, but it's an expression of power. And I venture to say, or maybe you'll just attest to this, the, the men who are coming through your facility, who are ostensibly the toughest guys in the world and have done the toughest missions in the world, um, do they have this, this quality of faith? And do you attribute that to them being so tough? 
Well, each, each individual is different, right? Um, what I've seen consistently, guys that come in have lost their uh, connection, their spiritual connection. Like addiction is running the show. And they're doing things and saying things that they're ashamed of, that they're embarrassed about. And they don't even understand it. Like, how in the world would I do that? Well, your addiction took over and that was running the show. And that's why you did it. And it hurts them. So it's almost like the addiction takes the forefront and the spirit, the true person is behind watching what's going on, but they just can't stop it. And it hurts them. So what we see in treatment is that spirit starts to come back and you see it in their eyes. It's like, bam, it's like, welcome back. And that's why we tell them when they come into our program, welcome home. Cause it really is. It's like, it's a spiritual awakening. It's like, you see it in their eyes. The spirit is present again. And, uh, and that's one of the tools that we work on, you know, from a holistic point of view with not only our special operators, but enlisted. I mean, we, we have a wide variety of guys that come in and what's cool is, no matter where they're at, they, they collectively come together and then there's a common bond and then they learn from each other. Well, how'd you do this? Oh yeah. When I was over here and I was in Fluger or whatever that the stories that happen with the peer network is again, it starts to rebuild them and, and get that uh, excitement for life back. How have you seen, what have you seen to be the most effective ways of treating the psychological trauma that people, again, first responders and, and, and military personnel to a certain extent after you see, and I, the, I guess the, the bad and the good is that there's so much research. It's not just like we have, we're, you know, we're just encountering war. Now people have, we've been fighting for pretty much our whole history. And there's a certain level of, uh, I, I want to say callousness or just, you know, you become used to seeing the worst parts of, of, of humanity. And I'm curious if there are techniques and tools that you would utilize, uh, that you've, you guys have utilized to help people kind of cope in the world after they've been so affected by, by either yeah. personal trauma or just witnessing the, the trauma of other people. So there's a number of different modalities we use. It's not one tool will fix all. I will say one of the things that we've seen some of the best results on is by telling their story. So it's more than talk therapy, though. And a, a good friend of mine, Chris Strickland, I believe he was on your show, too. He's awesome. Amazing. Awesome. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible story. And by him telling his story each time, you know, it's, it's helping him heal. But then it also builds a community of survivors that say, hey, I had a traumatic event too. Thank you for sharing your story. Let me tell you mine. And then it starts to build this network of trust too. And, and where it's like, Hey, I'm not alone in this. So that's the biggest thing is to continue to tell your story and to, and to let people know like the vulnerability of who you are. And I think that's, what about the, the shit? I mean, I mean, and again, I'm just, uh, is, is there, is, isn't there a, a barrier of shame that a person has to overcome or how do you overcome the barrier of shame? Because again, if you're just thinking, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, special operator or I'm a, I'm a police officer and you know, this really hurt, you know, is there, how do you get, get past that? You know, cause a lot of people want to, again, maybe it's just a man thing or maybe it's just a person thing, but a lot of people don't want to admit that what happened to them really hurt them. Yeah. 
So we, we start that in the treatment process. So one, we have a safe environment. So that's important. Like when you tell your story, I'm not going to go out and say, hey, did you hear about blah, blah, blah. It's, it's not a, a movie that I'm going to be telling people. This is real. It's, and in order for me to build trust with you, like that privacy is important. So the environment is, is key. So we do that in treatment and we start having them tell their stories among their peers. And then part of their, like we call it the mission of their life, their next, after they complete their program, is where are you going to go and tell your story next? And what's developing out of this is a thing called Warriors Anonymous. So there's AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, NA, Narcotics Anonymous. Well, what's come up from Warriors Heart is this Warriors Anonymous movement, where our guys are leaving our program with a packet, and then they set up their own Warriors Anonymous in their uh, community. It's incredible. And so then like-minded people, hey, the qualifications to come is desire to quit drinking and using drugs, and you have to be of a warrior class. So they're among their peers, and then that can start it. And so it's developing this whole movement. It's fascinating. Uh, in terms of the how, – how does the civilian person – um, try to translate that if you were trying to give advice, because again, I don't know if warriors are built or made or how that works. And you do definitely see certain people have that mentality. And, and of course, that's why they're kind of the pinnacle of our, of our culture that most people don't, but most people have trauma. And perhaps you could speak a little bit about how a person um, who is harboring something that they are affected by in terms of trauma or has done things in the past that they feel deeply ashamed and it's still affecting them, they feel bad about it. How do they sort of find a peer group and sort of re, um, re, um, reenact what you've been able to do with, yeah. with the warrior class? And it's principally driven. So it could apply to the civilian, military, police. That doesn't matter. It's principally driven. So again, find a peer network. And tell another human being what you're holding on to. And it could be at your church. It could be with a peer group. It could be a support group. You could drive 30 miles or 100 miles outside of town and go to one where no one knows you. But tell another human being what's going on and let it out. I really believe in, well, from my experience with Warrior's Heart and being in this field, is that when we hold on to that, it becomes stuck energy. And that's dis-ease in the body. And then it shows up as disease because we just haven't let it out physically, emotionally, spiritually. We haven't cleansed ourselves. And that's just from simply talking to another human being about it. Not asking, not looking for advice, not trying to fix it. Just hear me and let me tell my story. I know that, that it's, this is probably an exceedingly hard question for you because you spend so long and so much time around people that almost you become, um, you, you can almost become desensitized to people's breakthroughs, but was there, was there a lesson or a few lessons that you have been a part of, you know, people's journeys that have really changed the way that you see your life, humanity, et cetera? Hmm. What comes to mind at first um, was talking to two of our warriors that were in the program. And one was a military guy, another was a cop. And there was some conflict between, well, military guys don't understand cops, cops, you know, blah, blah, blah. And when we broke it down and really started to dig into it, the military guy, uh, before he came in, 
attempted suicide by cop. So what that means is, you know, hey, I'm going to put myself in a position where I make you shoot me because I'm going to maybe have a gun in my hand or I'm going to be telling, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to force you to shoot me because I don't want to do it myself. And the cop is on the other end going, you're asking me to shoot my brother. Do you know that impact it has on me emotionally when you want me to shoot and kill my brother? And it was like, whew. I mean, I get emotionally even thinking about it because it was such an aha moment. Like, oh my gosh, we are cut from the same cloths. We are brothers. And knowing that, it, there, there's this huge healing that happened and uniting and the bonding that it, it was, it was spiritual. It was incredible. So stuff like that happens in our programs on a, on a regular basis. And that's what keeps me going. It's like, okay, we're on the right path. I, I think what's, what is, what, what I, what I heard that, that stood out so much <clears throat> um, from that story <clears throat> was to realize that when a person's in deep pain, um, they're oftentimes focusing on how do I alleviate my pain? Yeah. And with a little bit more perspective, they have to realize, and again, I, it could be that that's, I guess, any, any father or, or husband, or it's a, it's a very universal theme in, the, in that regard that when we're in pain, we want to release our pain. But our releasing of pain comes at a very high cost to the people around us. And sometimes even if we don't know them, yeah. Um, because because people are in our lives and again the the uh, you know cops or, or fire fire people husbands wives you know they're they're in our lives and we're just trying to alleviate pain but but we have to appreciate that that's that costs something when we when we utilize the other people in our lives to so to speak make us feel better and I, and I, I I think that you can't um, distance yourself not you personally but i mean it sounds very personal to you also that like you know that, that that's that image of of how you were dealing with your your difficulties and the cost that it was that it was taking the toll on on your family like it just it resonates so much so we have to be forgiving of ourselves in a lot of ways at the same time trying to minimize the pain of other people as they try to help us through our through our stuff well you're spot on because, I mean, that was an extreme example, but it also applies to us at home. Like, if I'm a jerk to my kids, really, it has nothing to do with my kids. Right. It's all this built-up pressure and tension, and, but they just happen to be, because they're the closest to me, the vehicle that I can release it on. You know, the outside world gets the good, Josh. When I come home, my family gets the crappy one. That's not fair to them. It really isn't. So we need to be aware of this. Like, I need to have vehicles to release this and tools and counselors and churches or whatever it is, whatever works for you, find it and, and release that tension in the right way, in a positive way, not on those that you love. And, 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 and on the flip side, for the people that receive the, the, uh, the blowouts from, from their loved ones, and, and it makes such an impact, you know, I, just, I, I, don't, I don't think even, you know, in, it wasn't until post-World War II, maybe Vietnam. I mean, I'm just thinking about what your organization has and it has all of this cutting edge psychological and and substance abuse stuff and it's like p and 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 nowadays the nature of of military engagements is you're there and then you're back out and then you go in then you go back out and you think about you know world war one world war two people would be on the front lines for years and there was nothing for them when they came back and j just the i think that the, the level of forgiveness that we have to have for people that have hurt us in 
in, in our lives. Could be it was parents, could be it was spouses. And, and just appreciating the fact that, that we were those people that they took their rage out on and it has nothing to do with us. And, and as hard as it is to forgive and have compassion for, I, again, I just think, thinks a lot of the trauma comes, you know, a lot of times from parents that didn't know how to behave right. appropriately. You know, it's like forgiving them and saying, hey, mom and dad were going through hard things and no one, no one was, was helping them. And um, it, it didn't have anything to do with me. So that's, that's also, it's, it just, it, you flow with a lot of compassion where previously there was hatred and frustration and, and, and violence in a lot of cases. And if you think about it in World War II and stuff, when they came back, it, there was a lag time because they came through ships. So it was a month or so. They got to decompress. Right. Now right. it's 12 hours later. They went from the battlefield home just the time lag difference is huge. So they're still in combat when they come home and they're walking and everything's supposed to be, you know, Hey, let me talk about the kids and groceries. And it, the mind just can't process fast enough. But yeah, I mean, completely what you're saying. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. That's something else to, to, re to recognize is that you, it's very hard to shift in and out of different kind of, uh, of streams of reality. And we, I, and I, again, that's just a, that that turns into a very broad psychological level is that a lot of times you do need to have have periods of, of decompression. And right. it's like if a person says, OK, I'm done drinking or, you know, I, I have a, a food addiction or whatever it might be. It, it's going to take some time before you can show up and be 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 the next version. We're, we're, we're quick and we want to move on. But oftentimes not giving yourself that that space to decompress is 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 very, very dangerous. It is. And there's a natural lag time with, with everything. By the time like a, a child is conceived to birth, there's a natural lag, right? Gestation period. Right. So when we shorten that, uh, there is effects to it. And if you think about a police officer, they're always in the combat zone because they're here at home. Like right. with my wife, who is this guy that keeps mad dogging us at, at the grocery store? She's like, oh man, we had a problem with him the other night. And man, I didn't, think you'd recognize me you know stuff like that's like so i'm always going to have to be on guard and and the family you know so there's a lot going on and to to your point some of the most incredible human beings are our, our military our first responders for what they do and that's why i'm so happy to uh have formed a partnership with tom and lisa and, and operate warrior's heart Amazing, Josh. Uh, last, last. Let's put it as uh, I, I, first of all, I appreciate your time profoundly. I appreciate the work that you're doing profoundly. Um, what's What's next? I, I, it, clearly, you've hit on something that is of tremendous benefit to to the country, to to individuals. Um, where do you see this going, and how can people uh, help out in your mission? God, it's a great question. Thank you. So. We're in Bandera, so that's outside of San Antonio. We have a 543-acre ranch outside of San Antonio that we operate a 60-bed treatment center. We're expanding that to 100 beds. Wow. And then we're also going to take the company to 1,000 beds. So um, you can find us on warriorsheart.com. So we are growing. We're expanding. We're also, we have a foundation, the Warriors Heart Foundation. That's the nonprofit side of it, where uh, incredible Americans can help out uh, and uh, donate to the foundation. 
and the foundation is used for when a warrior calls us and says, hey, man, I've burned everything down. I have no money or I don't have VA benefits or I don't have insurance or whatever the story is, they can fill out a scholarship account. The scholarship then can get funded by the foundation, which then can pay for their cost of treatment at Warrior's Heart. So that, that's one way definitely that all Americans can help is through our foundation because I don't want to turn our back on our warriors that when they need our help, we're there for them too. Amazing. And how do we find out more about it, where we find you, et cetera? Warriorsheart.com. Okay, amazing. Josh, thank you so much for the time. It was, a, it was a real honor to speak to you and to see what you're doing. And I want to wish you a lot of success in, in, in your journey. And I just hope it gets uh, bigger and bigger and, and more successful. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. Thank you. There you have it, folks. Another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, we have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.